0: What's up, everyone? This is episode number 84 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Okay, so we've had another great week in the hobby. You know, it's funny that with each week, the hobby is getting more mainstream attention, it seems like. And yet at the same time, things seem to be normalizing a bit. And you would expect that this attention might cause this thing to keep uh, snowballing. But there's a lot of stuff that led up to this big hobby boom. And then there's a lot that's also working against it now. And I'm going to talk about that in today's main segment. So you don't want to miss out on that. But before we get to that point, there are a few other things that I want to discuss. Um, you know, Normally, I would talk about some mail here, or I've been doing that a lot lately, I should say. There really wasn't any noteworthy mail for me this week. Uh, Probstein did, in fact, relist the damaged Aaron Holiday that I sent back to him. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Um, I tried to win it back for cheap. I was hoping, you know, it's like I I didn't want the damaged card, but at the same time it's hard to find and I wouldn't mind owning it for cheap. Well, I lost out by like a dollar, although who knows how high the other bidder was going to go. We'll see if that new owner likes the damage that wasn't disclosed, wasn't disclosed when I bought it, it wasn't disclosed when it was relisted. I wouldn't be surprised to see that one listed again. But um, these are the games we play when we chase the cards we want. I did, however, win a couple of nice cards for my Pacers collection this week, so maybe if, if they come in as described, I'll get to brag about those in episode 85. Okay, enough about me and my dealings. The hobby got some mainstream exposure this week in a number of places. First, there was an ESPN article about cards that was titled, How the Coronavirus, the Internet, and Tons of Money Unexpectedly Fueled Sports Card's Biggest Boom. And I encourage you to check that one out. It comes from an ESPN reporter named Dan, and his last name is H-A-J-D-U-C-K-Y. I tried to look up how to pronounce that. Couldn't find it anywhere. I have no clue. But anyway, Dan, we'll call you Dan H. Dan H. did a pretty good job of highlighting the recent chaos in the hobby for outsiders. I'm going to save the rest of my comments for later, though, because I think it helps move us into a larger conversation that we need to have. There was also an article in Business Insider this week about a teenager that flipped a Giannis logo man for big profit. We're talking turning $40,000 into $1.8 million. Now, I wouldn't suggest this article for people to use as a how-to necessarily, but it still gives us an interesting case study. It's a big success for a young man in the hobby, and I think we should celebrate that. In addition to the articles, we had a couple of athletes that were speaking out about cards. And the first one was some guy that's currently in the finals named LeBron James. It's hard to believe that the finals are more or less just a subplot to the hobby right now, but it is what it is. And it looked like the Lakers might end up sweeping after a dominating performance and a series of injuries in Game 1. Well, the series is still going. I'm recording this part earlier in the week. Um, but Miami has at least won a game. You know, the series, it, it we can't deny it. It has a bit of a different feel, but I'm still enjoying it, and I'm hoping that the Heat can make things interesting. Anyway, at, at one of the press conferences this week, a reporter asked LeBron about a couple of record sales for his rookie cards. I'm going to let you guys listen in. LeBron, not finals question. Uh, One-year rookie basketball cards bid for 1.8 million. Another bid for nine hundred thousand dollars. I mean, given your kind of humble beginnings, I mean, when you, what do you think of that? When I mean, you're still playing, I and mean, it's not like you're Honus Wagner or Babe Ruth. Or yeah. Something. I mean, what? Do, how do you kind of take that in when somebody's paying one point eight million for your rookie card? Um, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, that's the first thing I think about. Think about where I come from. You know, hearing those numbers. You didn't hear those numbers much growing up. You know, uh, obviously where I'm from. Um, And the second thing I think about is I have uh, two rookie cards of my own. So I'll be good for a very, very long time. No matter what happens, I'm good. One of the things that I appreciate so much about LeBron is that he takes the time to give thoughtful responses, be it an interview immediately after a game when he's exhausted and it's hard to think, or a press conference like this. Um, This is at least the second time that he's alluded to his exquisite rookie ownership. We saw it on, I believe, an Instagram post as well. Maybe someday we can actually get him to show them off. Then we'll find out if they were extras from Upper Deck, or if he actually purchased some for himself. Well, a fellow NBA champion and one of LeBron's former teammates also had some things to say about cards in the last week or two, and that was Kendrick Perkins. Here's a clip from his Instagram. Hey, what's up, y'all? Me and my boy Luke, we've been collecting trading cards. Yes, Big Perk been collecting trading cards, all right? But look, all these other grading companies, I get it. But if it's not PSA, I'm learning this, then it ain't the real deal. PSA, you gotta have that PSA stamp. I got Zion right here. Zion, yes sir, Mr. Williams, box office, P-A- PSA stamp. I got Luca, Luca the Don, last year, rookie of the year. You seen what he did to the Clippers, yes, 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 PSA stamp. I got the rookie of the year, John Morant, generational talent, one of one, PSA stamp. If it ain't PSA, don't bring it our way. Straight up, carry on. If it ain't PSA, Don't bring it our way, straight up. That has a nice little ring to it. However, uh, PSA also made some news this week, so maybe he won't be bringing a lot of slabs his way because they sent out an email that announced they were suspending their economy service and raising prices. You guys know my thoughts on the grading industry already, so I don't really have much to add to that. However, I have a lot of friends that really enjoy the process, and it definitely affects their approach to the hobby. And I was browsing Instagram not long after this happened, and I saw a story from a user named SouthPark underscore Cards, and he's done quite a bit of business with PSA in the past. I thought he summed up the situation well, so instead of me trying to sum it up, I'm just going to read his story real quick. He said, the people justifying PSA raising their price just don't understand the slippery slope. In June 2020, a 45-day was raised $3 per card based on the promise of faster returns. So it went from $10 to $13. Um, June to September, however, return times were slower than ever. Then we get to October 1st. There's another price increase for $3 per card based on the same promise. So now it's going from $13 to $16. So he summed it up by saying, in four months... The price has gone up $6 for an inferior service. Now, I don't know about you guys. You know, I don't know what your thoughts are on this or if you're going to keep grading if you are grading. I have several friends that said they're done with PSA for now. I don't think there's going to be a huge drop off necessarily. People just really love their slabs, but maybe it will cut down on a lot of the worthless junk that's getting sent in on a daily basis, but who knows? All right, well, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to tell you a little about Fanatics. As you guys know, there are costs that go into running a podcast, so I signed up for the Fanatics affiliate program. Several of you have already purchased items using my link. Thank you. Whatever NBA gear you're looking for, there's a good chance Fanatics has it. So if you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.tinyurl.com slash WM Pod and click the Fanatics logo at the top. Shop as planned, and the Wax Museum podcast gets a small commission in the process. It's a win-win. Once again, that's www.tinyurl.com/wmpod. Okay, so earlier in the show, I mentioned that ESPN published an article this week titled "How the Coronavirus." The Internet and Tons of Money Unexpectedly Fueled Sports Card's Biggest Boom. Once again, I encourage you to read it on your own, but I'm going to talk about it some today, so I'm going to provide a quick summary. And the author starts this one off with a short profile of Probstein in an attempt to talk about the traditional role of the online marketplace. He talks about the popularity of vintage cards in the past, and then he goes on to say, but vintage cards yielding top dollar is nothing new. What is new and hard to fathom, over the past half decade, even now amid a pandemic that's decimated the American economy, contemporary sports cards have attracted gargantuan sums from high-rolling investors. End quote. Then we get a quick overview of the hobby after 1985. He talks over production. He talks about opening boxes. He talks about group breaks. That all leads up to today. So then he brings in a collector and an economist named John List, who he says, quote, isn't surprised that Wall Street invaded. He's surprised it didn't happen sooner. And he continues by talking some about the momentum of the hobby, um, some that it had before COVID. And then that's the point where he says, by all accounts, it should have been game over for the card industry. Well, as we all know, though, it wasn't. And he talks about that. He talks about how there were no card shows and people were rushing to buy online. We had people still picking up Kobe stuff. We had the last dance documentary. Everything was in a bit of a frenzy. And like I said earlier, I thought the reporter did a good job, but that was kind of where this whole thing ended. And it felt kind of abrupt. There was, however, one more quote from economist John List toward the end of the article that I'd like to highlight. And that's where he said, Quote, predicting the future price of an asset is like predicting which way a drunk walking out of a saloon will stumble. It's always easy to predict a bubble after the bubble burst. Monday morning quarterbacking is undefeated. Quote. Well, even though a lot of history is, in fact, cyclical, I don't want to predict any bubbles on here. At the same time, though, this show is about all things basketball cards, from past to present to future. And I think now that things have calmed down a little bit, today is a great time to look back at the past year, evaluate where we're at right now, and examine some potential scenarios going forward. And who knows, maybe this thing will even normalize, quote unquote, at some point. I was messaging with a listener last night, and he said he wouldn't consider things normalized until he could casually walk into Walmart and find basketball cards on the regular. That would be really nice, wouldn't it? Um, or maybe we're just going to have to establish a new normal. Who knows? So let's start with where we're at right now. I think it's reasonable to say we're seeing a little bit of a market correction. And I want to share an interesting Instagram post I saw this weekend that discussed just that. It's from a user named Sarfa underscore sports cards. And I didn't know this person at the time. So I messaged him and I introduced myself and I found out his name is Amal. And he considers himself to be a collector and an an investor. Anyway, he said, quote, The last three months in the basketball market have been super interesting. With prices going on the run they did over the last year, it's interesting to see where this market correction settles out at. Then in talking about the overall market, he said, It seems like this correction is settling down and creating a new support level. If we assume that this dip is at the bottom... This is a pretty good sign that the prices are coming back to at or above where they were about three months ago. That actually feels healthy and sustainable. And then he added a handful of graphs of popular cards to show their rise and fall over recent months. You know, I'm really not big into charts, but I appreciated seeing this. It did make for a convincing visual, especially since he added some context. That's what I'm really big on is we need context with all these charts and graphs. Uh, and then toward the end of his post, he did something that was really refreshing. He reflected on his recent buying and thought about his strategy moving forward. We don't see a lot of people just stopping to take a breath, but it's so needed. And he said that this whole time period has, quote, taught me how much of a gamble betting on a player or team performance is. And then he closed and then he added, although I enjoy that aspect of trading sports cards, I will be much more aware of of the risk. So thanks again to SARFA, that's S-A-R-F-A underscore sports cards, all one word. Um, Thank you for that. Hopefully those of you that are listening that provided a bit of a snapshot of where we're at now. The point is there is some data out there that shows that we could be in the midst of a correction. Okay, so we have some idea where we're at now. Now I want to take an even closer look at how we got here. And then I'll close today with some situations or scenarios where things maybe could um, unravel, so to speak, or normalize going forward. And technically, you could go back and you could look at some of the fads or trends that were developing in basketball cards over the years. Um, You could look at the Ben Simmons Upper Deck Exclusive back in 2016 and the subsequent rise of Prism Silvers. Remember, he didn't have any RPAs. He didn't have autos. I talked about that in detail in episode three. Um, I know I didn't have a lot of listeners then, so some of you might want to go back and listen to that at some point. Then we had the 2017 class, which is by all means shaping up to be a solid rookie class. People were buying quite a bit of Prism then, myself included, but nothing crazy was on the horizon at that point. And then even in 2018 and 2019, Luca and Trey were popular and successful, but you could still get various Luca rookies for $10.00, Talked about it before. I sold several Luke Prism rookies under twenty dollars. It was justifiable at the time, and I had a friend that had a graded silver. I encouraged him to sell as it kept rising. Then, because I, I you know, looking back, I couldn't see them getting any higher. We hadn't seen prices like that before. Um, we still laugh about that today because, you know, let's face it, he left a lot of money on the table long term. But hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, so then even into the 2019 off season, Luka rookie products were available and affordable. I went to the national in 2019 and blowout had mounds of prison blasters for $20. I'd opened enough at that point. So I only ripped one that was normal for July of 2019. At the same time, there was a growing anticipation for this Zion guy. Well, Zion gets drafted, performs well in the preseason What we saw of it, at least, Uh, people got excited. And before we know it, though, he's hurt. People sure love potential. Then we got Prism, which is the first product that people really felt was worth uh, wiping out on the shelves. There had been intermittent stashing before that, but there was still a lot of hesitance to hold on to stuff like Donruss or products that um, suck, like hoops. And um, I know I didn't touch a pack of Donruss at that point. But shortly after that, later on, I was thrilled to find it in March. Right? It's like somebody who's who's dying of thirst and um, finding something disgusting to drink. I'll take it. Uh, now, meanwhile, then in the 2019 season, Lucas starts off on an absolute tear. We're talking game winners, triple doubles, all that good stuff. When we talk about the market and how crazy everything got, I think people under, underestimate the importance of this Luca run. Because it took things to another level. It validated the people who bought him the season before and the people that were stashing his stuff away or stashing 2018 products away. That cannot be stated enough. Okay, people often forget that. They think this is all Zion, Zion, Zion. No, it it was the run of those two guys together and then Lucas follow-up season. Okay, so it was a proof of concept that stashing cheap retail is something people should do. Well, not long after, he gets hurt. Thankfully, it wasn't a super serious injury. Fast forward to January. We get the official debut of Zion. It was exciting. People are pumped up. Several days later, we have the tragic death of Kobe Bryant. Um, His cards went nuts. And that seems like so long ago. Um, 2020 sucks. But the season moves along. And we get great play from our stars like Giannis and LeBron. So that kind of keeps the momentum going, keeps things strong for the time being. And then COVID hits. As the article that I talked about shortly today, um, it seems like that's when the hobby should have screeched to a halt. Instead, we got the complete opposite. But when you think about it, we were in the perfect storm for this thing to succeed. Because on top of the stuff I just mentioned that had been developing we need to consider the following. Um, Sports betting is gone. Spending money at bars, theaters, you know, wherever, baseball games, whatever, it's gone. Card shows are gone. Uh, At the same time, people have to look in their garage and dig out all their old stuff because they're bored. Okay. Base cards were on the rise. So people were able to find some base cards in their garage, some value in all of these old boxes that generated some excitement, got people looking at prices. They said, Hey, I can make money on this thing. Well, then people were given a stimulus check and many people spent that on the hobby and on more base cards. Um, we had, you know, prism and optic had already been popular. Mosaic was coming out as a standalone. There was some confusion on if the cards were printed or if they would be distributed, well, they were, and then people were on the hunt because we had a lot of people with a lot of money, a lot of free time, and a lot of desire, and that was um, kind of a deadly cocktail. So at the same time, more people started spending more, uh, sending more cards in for grading. Grading companies got backed up. SGC made some promises and couldn't keep them, check the facts, and uh, a lot of cards that were already slabbed went up in value. After that, we got the Last Dance documentary and all the hype that went with that. Base cards continued to rise. My favorite trend was the jump in metal base cards. Thanks, metal base cards. I added some nice pieces to my collection because of, the, of you. Um, come July, which still seems long ago, we learned that the NBA was actually coming back and there was going to be an NBA bubble. And card shows started coming back around the same time. People were really eager to spend in person and every show that I went to, it showed there was a lot of speculative buying, which then turned into reactionary buying. Once we got players playing on the court and we needed examples of guys like TJ Warren and bowl bowl to teach us lessons. You know what? No, actually we didn't. The lessons were already there in history. Remember I talked about Furkan Moss, and guys like that, but We forgot about those guys and people needed to experience these lessons again firsthand. Maybe some of you have heard the phrase, don't throw your pearls to pigs. Well, the idea there is that there's no use giving someone a really valuable piece of information if they're not receptive to it or they don't understand it. They're not capable of understanding it or they're not ready for it, right? The pigs will just smash those valuable pearls to pieces, Well, there were plenty of people out there that had lived through the cycles and were warning people, stop buying base cards for ridiculous prices. Even if you like them, don't buy them for ridiculous prices. Stop your reactionary spending. But in a lot of cases, those pearls got trampled. So the playoffs started, reactionary buying continued, retail hoarding continued. I feel like this was as close as we could get um, to a peak for this stuff. And I, I doubt every card peaked here, but this is where the general frenzy around basketball cards was at its highest point recently. At least I feel it that way. Um, I felt like the crazy card show that I described recently kind of embodied this. And you know what? I don't think you could have created a more perfect storm. Maybe if you had trapped people in a convention center, gave them money on their way in and told them they had to spend it on basketball cards, because that's what it felt like at some of these shows. Well, I think in the last month, we've seen a noticeable shift in the other direction. And I'm sure this ESPN article was pretty much finished well before then. And what I find interesting is that, um, you know, I know everyone loves their charts. If you were to lay some of these events out on a graph of some type, um, some of these events moving in the new direction, well, the reversal shows up at some point on the other side. Now that doesn't mean that they're perfectly symmetrical, but it does make me think more about what could happen moving forward. How exactly could things unravel? Some of the things that we've already seen um, around what could be the peak, you know, people are tiring of the retail chase. Chronicles is a fun product, but I think people had expectations for it that it simply couldn't live up to. I've seen a lot of people get stuck with illusions or disillusions. I'm kind of glad we got a couple of products like this. It will at least get people to think twice about grabbing everything they can find. Additionally, a lot of the stuff that we quote unquote lost during COVID started to come back. Money is getting reallocated. I don't think people are as bored now. There are a lot of entertainment options. You have sports betting, there's other sports. We also saw a lot of basketball guys shift to football as the NBA playoffs wound down. Um, I saw a lot of people preaching position players, and and I'm not here to criticize that. I'm sure there's a time to make money on them. I'm not a football expert, but I have seen some people talk about how much things dropped. And it looks like a lot of people already missed their window to move those, and they didn't realize some of the things that, let's face it, we knew all along. Football has a short season season players only play once a week, players get hurt all the time, there's not time to recover if you get a major injury during the season, running backs get run into the ground, a wide receiver's success is contingent on a quarterback's success, and so on and so on. We knew all that stuff. Now, just because we've seen a few things that are moving the hobby in a different direction doesn't mean we're in a free fall. I'm not suggesting that. I'm not wishing for that necessarily either. But just as the build was influenced by an accumulation of events, I think a potential drop or a return to normal, some people might say, is dependent on some things in the future as well. There's a lot of options, there's a lot of factors, but I'm going to focus on three of them real quick. Number one, player performance. Number two, discretionary income. And number three, grading. So first, player performance. At some point, we're going to have an NBA draft this year. I don't watch a lot of college ball. We really didn't have a lot to watch this year anyway, but I've heard that this coming draft class could be pretty weak. I say I've heard that. I've read that in a number of places from people that seem to be pretty in the know. Are people willing to be patient to see if some of these guys will emerge in two to three years? Or could one be Draft class with a bad start really stall things or derail things? Is one bad class enough to slow it down or do we need two? Does it need to be two consecutive classes just like we had two really strong, really three strong classes in a row? I think it also depends on our second and third year players. Remember, Luca went on a crazy run. I talked about that. Are Luca and Trey going to continue to validate the 2018 class? In the same way, are we going to see a hot start from either Jaws, Zion, or both? Especially in the early parts of the NBA season, there has to be something happening that gets people excited about potential. And I'm sorry, guys like Kobe White and Devontae Graham aren't going to cut it. Additionally, are people going to have discretionary income? Are all of our fun entertainment options going to open up or stay open? Are people comfortable going out? Remember that stimulus check we had back around March? Are we going to see more checks coming our way? Because you know those will be spent on cards. I don't think people are going to be stashing toilet paper and Lysol again. Finally, I think the third factor is grading. Let's face it, the system doesn't work. Okay, We've been calling for reform way before coronavirus hit. In fact, I think I did a two-part episode on it at one point. A lot of people, you know, pre-COVID, especially at COVID, they sent their stuff in and now they have thousands of dollars tied up in assets that they don't have back yet. And the prices are going up. They can't do anything with these cards now. And let's say grading companies manage to somehow get things straightened out for people and slab cards are coming back hot and heavy. Well, is the market going to flood? Does scarcity matter anymore? Are people over base cards? At the end of the day, these are just some thoughts and questions I've been mulling over. So I really enjoy this hobby. I've had a lot of fun in this crazy time period this year. In fact, cards were a great distraction for me. But I also had to be observant of what was happening and what I thought might happen in order to react accordingly and in order for me to shift and enjoy the hobby. So I think it's time to step back and observe again. And I hope I've helped you do that a little bit today. Maybe you agree with some things I've said. Maybe you think I'm way off. Let me know on my social media. My Instagram is Podcast, although I'll probably have to reply from a burner account. And my Twitter is WaxMuseumPC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. Shop through my Fanatics link and I'll get a small cut. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.